Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Find more episodes and subscribe on your favorite platforms. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com. Today on Writing Matters, we speak with Dr. Jamie Haidt. Jamie has over 25 years of teaching experience and is the co-founder of an educational software company, Ecree. Ecree uses artificial intelligence to help offload some of the burdensome tasks of writing feedback so teachers can focus on what matters. Let's find out more about the ways that Jamie envisions teaching and learning with technology. Welcome to Writing Matters. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Jamie Haidt, who is a lifelong learner and user of technology. He is currently located in Durham, North Carolina, but grew up in Colorado and is one of the co-founders of Artificial Intelligence Software for Writing Instruction, ECRI. Welcome, Jamie. Thanks, Troy. It's uh, great to be here on the Writing Matters podcast. Happy to have the conversation. Looking forward to some thoughtful questions. Great. Well, one of the things that we like to do is get everyone in our audience familiar with our guests' educational journey, how you've got to where you are today. And I know you've had an interesting history and graded a few papers along the way. Maybe you could tell us just a little bit about who you are as an educator. Sure. So I taught my first English composition course at Mercer County Community College. I was in Princeton, New Jersey, doing a master's degree. And I assumed at that point in my young life that I would be a college professor. So I took the opportunity to get some classroom experience. And that course taught me several valuable lessons, not least of which that teaching any discipline we're writing as a component of assessment creates very difficult pressures to overcome as an educator. There's just a lot of papers to grade. And uh, from there, you know, I, I kept teaching uh, English composition. As I finished my master's degree, I went on to do my PhD at the University of Glasgow. So I taught in a variety of graduate departments there. I taught online. I helped build several American studies programs at Scottish institutions. And the long story condensed with respect to my biography is that when I found a decree, I asked myself how many papers I'd graded in my life. And I had old records and I was able to conclude that I had graded more than 20,000 papers. And that's certainly a lot of work. So that was kind of realization Mm -hmm. one in terms of where I came from and how I got to founding a Cree. But I also looked back and thought about all that work that had been done and realized that I had not given my students the engagement that they need to build this crucial skill for success. And it wasn't because I was a bad teacher. It was just, I was an overworked teacher as many teachers are And if you have a massive stack of papers that has to get done, you're not going to be able to give every student your full attention. So that means every student gets less of your time and they don't necessarily get the guidance they need to improve. And I just remember being struck for all I wanted to do to help my students, that there wasn't all that much I could do in terms of overcoming just the realities of teaching this crucial skill. And that has kind of led to where we are today, which is drawing on technology to help teachers address the things they can't change so that they can spend more of their time doing the things that technology can't do. Right. Well, I certainly can empathize with the many, many papers over a lifetime as a writing center consultant and a middle school language arts teacher and having taught now undergrads and grads. uh, 
I feel that. And I know that our, our listeners will have lots of questions about how you've designed a CREE to um, help do what teachers maybe feel overwhelmed about doing. Before we get to that, though, one of the questions we're really focusing on this season and asking all educators are um, around these ideas of the, the favorite lesson or writing prompt or activity or assignment. Is there something that stands out in your mind over the years as an assignment that you created that students particularly enjoyed or felt very engaged in? And uh, what was that assignment and how did it work for you as an educator? So two assignments immediately came to mind. The first was in an introduction to philosophy course and the unit was on existentialism. And I posed the first question of the exam was, are you free not to take this exam? And of course, you know, students kind of flip over the cover page and they encounter that. And you could just see the wheels kind of turning in the the, the thinking that they were going through to determine, can I really opt not to take this exam, which of course was part of the point, right, is let's take this conceptual idea of freedom of unlimited choice and apply it to something very real world. Uh, so that was a lot of fun just to watch students kind of wrestle with, am I really going to say, yes, I'm free not to take this exam? And the second example that jumped to mind is from my literature days and more specifically, my dissertation preference, which I wrote on Emily Dickinson. She's my favorite author. And the paper was pretty straightforward. It was, what is your favorite Emily Dickinson poem and why? So that just stands out as my favorite because it's near and dear to my literary heart. Well, and sometimes simple is true. I think that, uh, you know, we make big, long, complicated writing prompts and expect students to uh, conform to them. But what is your favorite and why there, there's something simple and true that rings about that. So I can certainly appreciate that as a writing instructor. So one of the things that we're really interested in talking about today with you is the role of technology in writing and kind of the ways that you came to use technology in writing. And then we'll pivot that conversation to hear more about a Cree in particular. Uh, it's a very different kind of writing tool, and we want to, to understand a little bit more about how you employ artificial intelligence to give students feedback. But before we jump into the tool, maybe you could just give us a bit of background about how you see the role of technology and learning, and particularly technology and learning to write. Sure. You know, the, I think about the role of technology and a teacher, and ultimately the combination of those things within the parameters of how do students learn to do things. And when we were designing a Cree way back when, almost five years ago now, there were specific types of experiences in my own journey as a learner that has sort of stuck with me and drove some of the thinking about how do we build a technology that can help students become better writers. And the two things that stand out to me, uh, one is the idea of learning a musical instrument. And I have very little musical talent. And I ultimately was never successful in that learning journey. But it's a skill that takes time and commitment and wrestling through setbacks. And you know, in my own case, I wasn't going to be able to pick up self-help books or watch a clip on YouTube. I, I don't have baseline skills, so I need guidance to learn how to perform this complex task. Uh, so that's kind of example one in my mind. And example two is much more specific uh, in 
there's a family recipe uh, for cinnamon rolls that my mother's great aunt uh, sort of introduced, or that's where we've kind of located the origin of the cinnamon roll recipe. And whenever I bring my girls to visit my folks, of course, my mom always makes these cinnamon rolls for my two girls. And the girls love them because they do taste very good. And I have a recipe. So I have a prescription for how to create these tasty rolls back in my own house. And I can tell you every time I've tried to bake them myself, I've gotten them wrong. And I complete the task of baking them. They come out of the oven, they cool. My girls taste them and say, Daddy, these aren't right. So I call up my mom and say, Mom, I messed up again. Can we try and figure out why I'm not doing this correctly? And the common thread between the musical instrument, which is a lengthy learning process with something that's very, very difficult in the cinnamon rolls, which is a very short process and clearly prescribed in terms of having a recipe is uh, feedback loops really, really drive learning. I need that teacher, if I'm going to learn an instrument, to guide me, certainly in uh, building that foundation of basic skills, but also becoming more adept at building on top of those skills. Or if it's just baking the cinnamon rolls, what I need is my mom to tell me what I'm doing wrong as I'm baking the rolls, not after the fact when I have to sort of rewind in my brain and think through, you know, did I mismeasure something? You know, did I leave the oven on not long enough so the temperature wasn't correct? So how do we provide positive feedback loops as students are working on their writing? That was kind of the thing we wanted to accomplish. Because if you can provide those feedback loops, students are going to get that guidance in terms of the skill they're trying to acquire, and they'll be more psychologically primed to learn the skill, right? to go back to the roles. I guarantee you that if my mom is in the kitchen with me, she would identify exactly what I'm doing wrong as soon as I do it. And she would say, Jamie, that, that's what you did wrong. And that positive feedback loop would solve the problem. Right? So that's the kind of pedagogical framework that we took uh, in mind to build a cream. And then the second thing, of course, is scale, right? It's humans don't scale. Teachers are very, very good at what they do. They have expertise that cannot be replicated technologically, but they have only so many hours in the day. I can't teach thousands and thousands of students. I can't give every individual kid in my class six hours of my time because I just can't do it. So you know, there's limitations to what we are able to do and technology can uh, overcome some of those limitations. And scale was the one that we always thought about when we were designing a cream. Right. Well, and it sounds to me like you're, in addition to feedback, maybe another lesson to take from your two examples, the musical instrument and the cinnamon rolls, is there's some level to which the learning needs to become embodied. And that constant feedback and positive feedback loop helps the learner really solidify those things. And if you wait a few minutes, a few hours, a few days, or sadly, a few weeks, by the time you respond to all these essays, the moment is gone and, and they're not able to embody that and able to replicate it again the next time that they go to write or go to bake or go to play a musical instrument. So it seems to me like you're, you're helping them really solidify those, those practices as they go along. Yeah, it's, it's a crucial point to bring up, and I'm glad you did. You know, we, we as humans, we learn by doing, and in a lot of things when we're learning by doing, there's not just feedback loops, but they're immediate, right? Think of touching mm -hmm. the stove when you're hot as a young kid. You don't have to wait for 30 seconds <laughs> for your brain to register. Mm -hmm. If I put my hand here, it's really going to hurt. That 
feedback loop is instantaneous. Uh, you know, and if you take that basic dynamic into the question of how do students learn how to write, it's another example of kind of scale uh, and sort of what humans can't do, right? I can't sit at the computer with every student in my class and tell them as they're working, hey, don't do this or hey, do that. It's just, again, not physically possible. You know, and when the average turnaround time on a paper is a week and a half to two weeks, uh, the point you raise is very much relevant. Students just aren't thinking about it. But humans can't remember what they did two weeks ago in the detail they need to be thinking about something consciously to really improve, uh, improve that skill set. So uh, another advantage of technology is that it can be everywhere, especially now where we, the number of devices most people have to get online and sort of get that immediate real-time feedback that a creek can provide. You know, the, the barrier to entry with the technology is much lower uh, than trying to get me scheduled to spend 30 minutes uh, with the student. Right, right. So yeah, let, let's turn our conversation to that. And we were joking a bit before we started recording, I need to brush up on my French, uh, but perhaps you can tell us a little bit about Acree and um, the kind of origin story of that. But then also more broadly, um, knowing that it is an artificial intelligence tool and that there is lots of talk about the promise and perils of artificial intelligence in our world in general, let alone in education, after you give us a bit of the background on Acre, you could tell us a little bit about your thoughts on using AI as a learning tool and why you've chosen to go that way with this uh, particular learning design. Sure, happy to share the story. So Acre was born in 2014, the fateful year I asked myself how many papers I'd graded. And when I came to the final counter, stopped counting, and the number was very, very high, and then thought through how much time that was to grade all those papers, I called up my co-founder, Dr. Robin Donaldson, who is doing a postdoc at Stanford Research Institute on Computational Biology. And I had met Robin when we were both doing our PhDs at the University of Glasgow. And I said, Robin, I just counted up how many papers I've graded in my life. You've got to be able to automate some portion of this process. Because the amount of time I've spent doing this over my life is really, really high. And if you could shave 5%, 10% off that, you know, I'd give you my left arm because it would be a lot of time back. Your time is something that humans always want more of. And teachers, you know, they're not the only profession, of course, that could use more time. But teachers have that acute need to get more done because they want to help their kids. But there's also any number of other competing priorities. So saving time would make a real difference, both in how much I can help my students, but also kind of my own uh, morale, mental sanity, whatever. And Robin was very quick to say what I was talking about could not be done computationally, because I had asked him to replicate some portion of what I, the teacher, am doing. And that was really one of our foundational elements in building a Cree was we don't want to create an algorithm that's what we call black box. You know, no one really knows what the algorithm is looking for underneath. We wanted to create a technology that mirrored what I, the human teacher, actually do. Mm -hmm. And that's why Robin said, well, that's not really possible. And I said, well, why not? And he went and talked to some of the uh, natural language processing experts out at Stanford. And he said consensus was that you can't replicate the assessment of language algorithmically. Right? Writing is intrinsically subjective. Computers can't quote unquote do that. 
there are other technologies that can get some way down the road of kind of predicting general quality. And these are the sorts of things where you feed an algorithm hundreds of sample papers and the algorithm kind of learns various patterns that uh, sort of correlate with various scores. And the idea is, you know, if an algorithm identifies A, B, and C in a paper is indicative of a, a paper that'll get a score three, then the algorithm will look for those qualities in subsequent papers and assign a paper the score of three. Now that's not really how we, the human experts do it. One, uh, we use a rubric that we define very clearly. The, uh, these are the specific things that the paper has to have to be considered good. It's not a pattern that an algorithm finds that may or may not correspond to rubrics or state standards on tests, right? So we wanted to use the rules that I used and then replicate those rules algorithmically. So a very simple example, right, is, uh, is there a thesis statement or statement of purpose in this paper? So how do you do that, quote unquote, algorithmically. We had to come up with a technology that could mirror the same way my brain does it. How do I, the human, identify a thesis statement? Question one, and then question two, if we can actually articulate what my brain or a teacher's brain is doing when he or she finds a thesis statement, can we actually create a computer program that can do that same thing? Uh, so those are sort of the two key problems we had to solve technologically. Uh, and that, fortunately, the answer was yes, you can do them. And that sort of bleeds into the, the promise and the peril uh, mm. of technology and kind mm -hmm. of replicating human processes. Because in the conversations that Robin and I were having around this uh, you know, design, uh, we very clearly came up against what technology can't do. You know, I will say till I'm blue in the face, till the cows come home, there are things the human brain does that computers cannot do. And therefore there are things that teachers do that computers cannot do. So a Cree is not out to replace teachers. That's not possible. What a Cree is out to do is as much of the heavy lifting as it can. So mm -hmm. we focus on the rules of good writing and we can assess the rules of good writing, you know, a common core exam or the AP exam, these sorts of things. We know the rules, the expectations for good writing. Do you state your position? Do you support it with evidence? Do you connect that evidence uh, to the argument you're making, what I always call analysis? Do you summarize your argument? These are the, the parameters of a good foundational academic essay that we know and love. What mm -hmm. Cree can't do is determine you know, things like, you know, what are the implications for your own life in thinking about the theme of love in Romeo and Juliet? Or you know, there's no right or wrong way to discuss love in Romeo and Juliet. There are well-organized ways and poorly organized ways. There's well-supported ways and poorly supported ways. It is about those foundational mechanical elements of good writing. And by focusing on those, what Ecree then does is hand off that initial and immediate assessment of the work to the teacher, and the teacher can then come in and do the higher order conceptual thinking and engagement that the computer cannot do. Uh, so that's kind of the, the position, the possibility, the promise of technology is AI can be that helper, that resource for the teacher that does the heavy lifting for the teacher, and then the teacher can go on and do the advanced stuff. Uh, you know, there's sort of two analogies I often like to point to in thinking about this in terms of the promise of tech. Uh, one is my grandfather, who is a farmer out in eastern Colorado, you know, hundreds of acres. And 
farming is very labor intensive work. Mm-hmm. And what did he do? You know, he didn't hire a team of a hundred to help plant and then harvest his crops. He got a tractor, right? That didn't make him less of a farmer. He still had to think about crop strategies and, you know, timing harvest to make sure crops are getting to market at the appropriate time, et cetera. Uh, the second example is actually more local to me here in Durham. And the example is Duke basketball. And I did not mm-hmm. go to Duke, so I don't have a, <laughs> a strong preference. I'm not staking my claim to Duke or Carolina. Uh, but I got to go to a preseason game. So I went into Cameron uh, Stadium and I'm watching Coach K. You know, I'm wondering, what does this guy do? He makes millions of dollars a year. I'm curious what he actually does during a game. So I'm watching him. And he doesn't do anything in a physical sense, right? He sits by the court and just watches what his players are doing. And occasionally he'll give them direction. And it hit me. It's like his job is to do really advanced strategic stuff that nobody else on his staff can do. And of course, he's got a massive staff that's visible. You know, you got people folding towels, filling up water bottles, you know, returning rebounds to players, et cetera. And, and that sort of hit me as an analogy for what, our technology can be to the teacher, right? It's the assistant that's gonna do a lot of the baseline stuff that the teacher should not be doing because a computer can do it. And that frees up the human to spend his or her time on the things that the computer can't do. Uh, So I'll draw my line there on promise and I'm happy to follow up with Peril, but I'll I'll hit pause if you have any follow up questions. What I just said. Yeah, well, I mean, I certainly think there's there's lots of room for discussion, and there are folks like Les Perlman who have devoted numerous years and uh, things to thinking about how AI will never replace human scoring. And I hear you saying that, no, that's not the goal of a Cree. And so I guess what I'm, I'm wondering then, and, and maybe teachers would want to hear too, is what does that look like? So using this as our tractor, um, how are we able to then give more timely and efficient feedback? How are we better able to adjust our lessons so tomorrow we can be smarter in the ways that we deliver instruction to either an individual student or our whole class? How can a teacher make sense of all the data that might be coming in uh, through this artificial intelligence in order to make really well-informed and smart teaching moves the next day? So the good news is Accree does that for the teacher because there is a ton of data coming in and because Accree is delivering feedback on those elements of good writing as the student is working. uh, Accree can learn a lot about individual learning trends, class learning trends, assignment learning trends. Uh, So the teacher doesn't have to sift through thousands and thousands of data points. What Accree does is it sucks up all that information and then summarizes it for the teacher in what I call a diagnostic format. So if you're going to come in and see me during my office hours tomorrow afternoon, I can pull up your account and say, okay, over the course of this term, here are the top areas of strength in the top areas that need improvement. And if I know I'm going to get 10 minutes of your time, because that's how long I can give my time to you, because I'll have someone else waiting to see me, I know exactly what to focus on. Because Acree says, hey, over 26 drafts and four assignments, Troy is struggling with these four things. So what should I talk to you about when you come into my office? Those four things. I can say, okay, you don't need help with these other three things. You need to focus on where, uh, where the gaps are in your skill set. 
and we can provide that level of insight at the assignment level. So you know, everybody turns in their papers Sunday night. I come in Monday morning before we meet in class. I can pull up the assignment report and say, for this assignment that just came in, here are the top areas of strength and weakness. And likewise, at the class level, over the entire term, here's where my students are doing really well, and here's where they're struggling. Uh, so it's not rocket science, and that's why I use the term diagnostic. This isn't some sort of super secret big data. It's just pulling up information and summarizing it in a way that gives teachers very easy to understand and actionable feedback on what's going on in the classroom. Interesting. And will it go so far as to pull, say, an example of here's a student who does have a well-developed thesis statement, here's a student who does not, so you can use those as comparison either for yourself or to share with the class as examples? What, what does that look like for a teacher? Uh, so teachers can certainly drill down to individual student uh, summaries and even individual assignments. Uh, we do not compare one student to the other because that's not, uh, it's a good example of a potential peril, right? Even though all that information's in there, we don't want technology making what I would call qualitative comparisons across students or across classes. That information is there if the teacher feels like he or she wants to connect some of those dots on his or her own. But we need to be careful about uh, making too many assumptions uh, independent of the context in which students are writing. There could be a very good contextual reason why student A's thesis is quote unquote better than student B's that a Cree isn't accounting for and unable to account for because technology can't account for everything. Uh, so we, that's why we, we take a very conscientious and conservative approach to how much we're gonna try and accomplish with the data that a Cree uh, sort of gathers as students work within the platform. Mm. So that raises a really interesting point about privacy. I know that's uh, obviously a huge topic and especially in K-12 settings and even in higher ed settings. Are there privacy protections built into the system? Yes, there are uh, multiple layers of privacy protections you know, from a strictly technological uh, layer. We use industry standard encryption, so it's not easy to break in. Uh, we follow all relevant state and federal guidelines, so we're FERPA compliant. Students retain copyright to all their work. So if you want us to delete your record, we're obligated to do so. so and that's the way it should be. Students should retain ownership of what they do in our platform. Uh, we make sure that students can always download what they've done in our platform so we don't ever hold their work captive. Uh, we don't ask for a lot of information from students you know, other than name and email so that they can create accounts uh, so we limit what we want to know about students, uh, and then we make sure, of course, that students' uh, records don't kind of get cross-pollinated in the database. So it goes back to the example I just mentioned earlier. We don't compare one student's work to the other directly. We present a teacher's classroom insights to that teacher, and then the teacher, of course, can drill down uh, as needed. So only a student's teacher is going to see his or her work uh, within the platform. Uh, and then administrative access, it agrees, is restricted to a very small number of senior level folks uh, who have access to data across institutions, across student records. Uh, so we take it very seriously because it is important, especially when we're talking about uh, student data. Students should feel comfortable that we're not trying to learn as much as we can about them to go and sell that insight into a third party. Right. So we never sell student data uh, you know, to outside third parties either. 
that's good to know. It's definitely good to know. So I'm wondering as we're coming to the close of this conversation and to kind of envision what a classroom that someone's using their skills as a teacher, building relationships with students, but now has this new tool, uh, whether we want to use the tractor metaphor or whatever it is that they're able to bring with them. How does that change the shape of day-to-day -day teaching practice? Like in, in what way, if I were to walk into a middle school or high school or college composition classroom, and I saw a teacher using a Cree in a manner that was really robust and, and responsive to their students, what might I see different um, in that classroom as compared to what we would traditionally expect to see in a writing classroom? So the single most visible difference you would likely see is just students are writing more. And that's the whole point, right? To build the skill, the more practice, the better. And because a Cree allows teachers to use their own questions without massive training sets, uh, we enable a lot more writing uh, with not a lot of work to set it up. So it, just to give a very simple example, it's kind of the participation use of a Cree. So the teacher sets up 10 prompts because it takes 30 seconds to set up each one. The teacher can use whatever question is on his or her mind. The teacher is not restricted to our predefined prompts. And then the teacher can just say, over the course of the term, every student in my class has to write five of these essays. Students are going to get the feedback on those basic elements of good writing, but I'm not going to grade them for, you know, quote unquote, officially. Uh, if you do your five papers, you get your participation points. Uh, so that's one example amongst many. And it's something I'm always fascinated by and I think speaks to teachers' real value is uh, just educators as role models in students' lives, is that if you give them a resource that's easy to set up and don't put a bunch of restrictions on how they can adapt it to their own classroom, they're going to come up with really clever ways to leverage that resource to the best uh, of its ability without uh, sort of mandating that they disrupt what they usually do. And it goes back to that design principle that we've always held a decree. We want this to slot in as closely as possible to how teachers do this, uh, this process. And the process is assign students writing and give students feedback on that writing. Okay. Uh, so that's, again, one of the most common things we would expect to see is students just writing more often. And then at the moment when students will be doing those assignments that carry official weight, a more summative type of context. Uh, the writing is on average going to be much better. Now, you know, we've demonstrated this over and over again, that students who use a Cree as a formative writing support mechanism, they will see higher grades, they will see better outcomes. Uh, and that is true both drafting and then finalizing an assignment and sort of one assignment at the beginning of the term to the end of the term. Uh, and the final thing, that I would say you would likely see, though it's a bit harder to quantify, is just teachers with higher morale. If teachers aren't spending all weekend grading papers, they're gonna come into class Monday morning with a lot more energy. And I do see that, I hear that, I get emails from teachers all the time that speak to this effect. You've taken this really time intensive task off my plate and that's kind of freed up my, my mental energy, my actual time to be more creative in my lesson planning, to spend more time responding to student emails, to engage with my students during office hours because I don't have to talk about topic sentences, these sorts of things. Mm. Uh, and those are just the, the most common ones I see. As I said uh, just a second ago, there would be any number of 
more localized ways that teachers have figured out how to leverage a Cree to benefit their students. I really appreciate that last point that it's, it's about being able to be more creative in your teaching, having offloaded some of those other time intensive tasks. And I think, you know, this point you make about writing more and more often, you know, that idea that volume and frequency leads to fluency. So I can understand what you're saying with that as well. So, so it sounds uh, like there are many opportunities for, for teachers to use that data to offload some of the, the heavy work, but then also be more creative and strategic in their instruction. Students get the immediate feedback and I'm, I'm sure that we can think about other ways to critique, but we'll, we'll save those for a different day. At the moment, I'm wondering if we might um, close. Uh, another question we've been trying to ask everyone this season is just to think about yourself as a writer um, and to say just a little bit about the role that writing plays in your personal and professional life. I'm not sure uh, if you would have anything that you'd want to add to that, uh, just as you, as you think about uh, where writing fits in every day to your life and, and how you use it. Uh, it's a great final question. I'm really glad you asked it because in my own life, I had the good fortune of having a couple of excellent writing teachers early on. And that's something I've carried with me in thinking about some of these bigger questions with the Cree is there's also an issue of equality here, right? Students shouldn't learn to write or not based on whether they're, they get a good teacher or not. We want to provide a resource that can help anybody who wants to become a good writer become a good writer. And that bleeds into kind of the non-Jamie answer, which is, something I always told my students when I was teaching in the classroom, and I see this in studies all over the place, is that writing is one of, if not the most important skills for future success in one's career. So it is something that really, really matters. And I take that seriously as a parent, as an educator, and as a citizen of this country. If we can produce more good writers, we're all going to benefit uh, both collectively and obviously individuals who acquire the skill that the average hiring manager says is most desirable in the average job applicant. It's strong communication skills. And that's what we want to continue to, to work on here at Cree. And that's really how I think about writing. I, I want to equip students with something that will provide lasting value in their lives. They know they can always go back to this skill and apply it because you're going to write whether you're welding or a doctor or uh, you're, you're in software or doing something entirely different. You're a travel blogger. Good writing is something that cuts across just about anything you're going to do uh, over the course of your professional life. So it is very important and that's why we are committed to helping as many students as we can become better writers. That's great. That's great. Well, I very much thank you for your time and uh, look forward to seeing next steps with Acree. And also, hopefully you uh, don't have to grade quite so many papers or at least not as intensively looking at some of those uh, minor concerns and can really focus on helping your students uh, become those good writers with that lasting value that uh, can affect all areas of their lives. So thank you for the work that you do and thanks for your time. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on, I enjoyed it. Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Discover more episodes and subscribe on your favorite streaming platforms or check out filmed episodes on YouTube. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com.